the most important thing that can happen in any local church. The reason I believe that is because I believe, as Pastor mentioned, that the sole reason for your existence is the evangelization of the world. Uh, if it were not for that, I'd be speaking to this, but I believe that the Great Commission was the Lord's last concern before he ascended into heaven. Can I say to you this morning that when he comes back, it will also be his first concern as to how we've done with it. So therefore, that behooves us then to be involved, does it not, in what God is doing in this world. What a marvelous privilege. Even though Barbara and I for many years have understood what our assignment for ministry and our assignment for life is, God's been very clear with us. We feel very privileged to be able to know that. But in addition to that, because of our involvement in Faith Promise through our local church over in Ohio, we also have a ministry uh, in uh, many parts of the world. I think Calvary supports 57 missionaries now, and uh, just a, a wonderful uh, thing to know that uh, when I place my Faith Promise check in the offering, and pastor's right, uh, my faith promise check goes in right after my tithe check goes in. Amen. And uh, But to know then that I have a part in worldwide evangelization in many, many parts of the world. What a wonderful thing that God would count me worthy to be involved in what he's doing. Would you open your Bible, please, this morning to the book of um, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and find uh, verse 3 there. Uh, down through verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 3 through 5. Would you stand with me one, one last time, please, in honor of God's word? Please follow along and uh, read silently as I read aloud from 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm beginning in verse 3. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful today for the privilege and the honor of being a part of what you're doing here at Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church. And we would pray, Father, as we look into your word now and spend some time at the preaching of it here this morning, that you would just bless it in a mighty way. Father, would you please send your sweet, precious Holy Spirit, not only as he has come into this room uh, embodied uh, in the believers, but, Father, would you send him in a special way, Father, that we may feel his conviction, we may feel his teaching us from the pages of Scripture, and may we respond in an appropriate manner, Father, at the given time. Father, but above all, may we be mindful of the enormous responsibility and privilege that we have of being involved in the work of God. We're grateful for it and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Several months ago, uh, there was a... Are you getting this okay? Am I on? I'm not on. Am I on now? All right. What's wrong here, preacher? Okay. Should be on. Not my problem. That's usually uh, it's my problem. I forgot to put a switch on or something, but uh, all this technology and so forth. 
Anyway, um, several months ago, there was an article that appeared in a, um, a publication, bi-monthly publication, I believe, put out by a certain group of uh, independent Baptist churches. And I take some of the, I take some of the uh, information this morning uh, from that. And uh, so this is going to be a bit of uh, history here this morning. And the idea that we want to, uh, that I want to get across is directly related to uh, what we have uh, read in the scriptures about enduring hardness is a good soldier. I believe that, um, that one of the uh, problems that we face in America today is, in, in, our, in our independent Baptist circles, is that we have become a nation pretty much who are spoiled people, spoiled Christians. If I can put it in plain, ordinary, common terminology and uh, language that I think that we'll all understand, we have become and are ever becoming a nation of wimps. And uh, I believe that if we're going to do the, a proper job of addressing the needs of the world, and if we're going to endeavor to be obedient to the Great Commission, that we're going to have to simply toughen up. And the scripture here says that we are to therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm going to quote from a man this morning by the name of Thomas Paine, who is, of course, one of the uh, uh, fathers of America. And some of the, the first part of this quote you will recognize. You may not have heard or may not recognize the last part of the quote. But Thomas Paine said, These are the times which try men's souls. How many of you have heard that? All right, most of us. But he went on to say this, after he said, these are the times which try men's souls, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Of course, Thomas Paine spoke these words in regard to the coming Revolutionary War. He actually spoke it during the beginning era of the Revolutionary War. This was the war, of course, that determined the freedom of America from uh, tyranny of uh, King George of England. And um, we should understand that in this day, there was not a standing army in America except that of the enemy. Consequently, the army with which George Washington was asked to secure America's independence from England was mostly a collection of untrained men, volunteers with limited enlistment obligations, and they were from all walks of life. While most were men of honor, willing to fight for freedom, many were indeed summer soldiers and sunshine patriots who departed in large numbers, sometimes by hundreds, when their enlistments were up. On one occasion, a whole regiment simply disappeared when their enlistments expired. Still, one can almost sympathize with at least some who went home. Sometimes there was no food for days. Warm clothing and even shoes could not be found for many of the men. It was not uncommon for the soldiers to be barefoot, even in the snow, their tracks stained with blood, according to observers. 
Weapons and ammunitions were scarce, some having only makeshift bayonets fashioned from farm tools. At the surrender of Fort Washington, the British soldiers and the Hessian mercenaries laughed at them as they marched literally in rags, defeated and humiliated from the fort. Add to this defeat after defeat in the field, and it is no wonder many felt that the cause was already lost. Thousands were signing oaths of allegiance now back to King George of England to gain a pardon for having ever signed with the ever sided with the patriots to begin with. George Washington knew that there must be some bold stroke, a victory, or all might be lost. Then came Trenton, and Washington crossed the Delaware River to strike the Hessian garrison, dividing his forces into three uh, comp- into three groups. He planned to attack on two fronts with a small force blocking the enemy retreat. The river was swollen, freezing over with large chunks of ice floating dangerously everywhere. And I guess that we've all seen a picture of Washington crossing the Delaware and some of those circumstances that are depicted in that painting. But add to this the difficulty of a blinding snowstorm and the freezing temperatures. To stop literally was to die. In fact, the password that day was victory or death. Then the worst began to happen. Two of the companies were forced to return to camp because of the snow. The main body under Washington and Green was slowed by the weather and arrived after dawn. Washington was told that some of the rifles were too water-soaked to fire, and he ordered them to use their bayonets. It took less than 45 minutes for the Patriots to win the battle, taking some 900 prisoners. It was a glorious victory and the turning point of the war. It happened, ladies and gentlemen, because there were some men who would not quit, men who refused to go home, home to the comfort and safety that their punished bodies cried for. Well, more could probably be said of important victories, such as at Princeton, which soon followed Trenton, but sufficient has been related to make the point that the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot does not win the impossible battles because he will have deserted in the hour of the greatest trial and need. Now, if you'll go back to the scriptures with me this morning, the scripture says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let me suggest three things to you this morning that I believe the text suggests here, and it just comes right out and says it, actually. It's a three-point outline that occurs naturally here. I love the Word of God when, uh, when, when the Holy Spirit of God has inspired such things as this. But three things that must not happen if we, as soldiers of the cross, are going to endure hardness as a good soldier. First of all, let me point out to you that the scripture says in verse 4, the first, the first phrase there, that a, that a man who is going to be a good soldier 
and is going to be something other than a sunshine, uh, sunshine soldier or a summer patriot, he must not entangle himself. The verse, the verse says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Let me give you three things in regards to entanglement. First of all, I believe that we must be careful as soldiers of the cross that we do not entangle ourselves with things. Now keep your finger here, but go to, you're in 2 Timothy already, go to chapter 4 and verse 10. In this particular verse of scripture, there are, (coughs) excuse me, there are three men spoken of here. Do not assume that they are all three in the same category, for they are not. Before the message is over today, we will get back to the third guy that he talks about here, and I'll illustrate that for you. But now comes into focus the first fella here because this man became entangled with things. And because he was entangled with things, he was this kind of a soldier that when the going got tough and the pressure was on, he departed from the work of God. Notice what it says in verse 10 there. For Demas, now remember Paul is writing to Timothy here, this book is what is called one of the pastoral epistles. It's also a prison epistle. But Paul here is instructing young Timothy, his protege, on how to conduct himself in the ministry and about the things concerning the work of God. And as he instructs him about this, he uses an illustration here of a man who who really uh, uh, became entangled with things. Notice it says, For Demas hath forsaken me. Demas, obviously, was one who had been a sidekick of Paul, if I can put it that way. He was certainly contemporary with Paul. He traveled with Paul. He was involved in the ministry that Paul was involved in. He was involved in the work of God. He was a man who apparently had been given responsibility concerning the work of God. As a matter of fact, he was like many of us Christians seated right here today in Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church. We have a ministry that God has laid upon our shoulders. Amen? Now understand this, that if you're saved, if you're a Christian, particularly if you're a member of this independent local church, you must understand that the ministry is not just about what, uh, what, what Pastor Leatherman can accomplish in his work. It is, what is, it is a job that has been given to the church collectively, and as an individual, as a member of this church, you have a responsibility, do you not, to be involved in what God is doing here. Can I say to you that every child of God, every church member ought to have a ministry. What is your ministry? What are you doing for the cause of Christ? Is all you're doing is sitting on a red seat soaking up heat? If that is true, then ladies and gentlemen, you have missed your calling in life. Because the responsibility, according to the word of God, lies not just upon the pastor and upon the pastor's wife and and, and his family and upon the staff, but really it it, it lies in a a collective sense upon upon the membership of this church. Therefore, you are to be involved in ministry. What is your ministry? What are you doing? Well, I can tell you this that Demas had such a ministry, but he left it. He became a summer soldier. He became a sunshine patriot because he became entangled, first of all, with things. It is so easy, ladies and gentlemen, to become entangled with things. Why is it so easy to become entangled with things? 
Well, because we're still human beings, are we not? We still live in this body. We still have the temptations that, uh, that, that, every, that every individual has. We're still, like the songwriter said, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. The temptation is always going to be there to become entangled with things. But the good soldier, one who's going to be anything other than a summer soldier or a sunshine patriot, if we're going to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we must not become entangled, entangled with things. Secondly, we must not become entangled with theology, untried and untrue. I specify that. Now, if you will, go with me, please, to Acts chapter 13. We're going to read here about a man uh, that whose name actually uh, occurs uh, several times in the scriptures. He is not a bad man. I believe he's a very good man, but he went astray a little bit. Everybody has his name is John Mark. Sometimes he's referred to as John Mark, sometimes just as John, other times just as Mark. But here we have him here. He was one, and by the way, <coughs> Acts chapter 13 the first, the, the first uh, several verses there is a wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture regarding the methodology of New Testament missions. It is in Acts chapter 13 that we see the calling and the sending forth of the first New Testament missionaries as we know them today. And we, you can read about that on your own time there, but it was the church at Antioch. It was def, very definitely a local church situation. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were working there, and it was from that local church that the Holy Spirit of God singled them out and spoke to the church and said to the church, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they were separated, the scripture says that they were sent, first of all, by the local church. Secondly, they were sent by the Holy Spirit of God. And one of the men, apparently, that went, on this, uh, went with his entourage, with this group of missionaries that went, was this young man by the name of John Mark. Now, everybody has their own idea about how or why John Mark departed. The scripture isn't real uh, plain on why he departed, but everybody has their own idea, and guess what? I have my idea too, amen. Since this is my message, you're going to hear my idea, amen. But here's the point. I believe that if there is one thing that is lacking in pulpits across America today and around the world, it is preaching that is biblical, that, that is true to the context of Scripture. Now what I'm saying by that is that you can take a verse here and a verse there, and, if they, and, and you can really twist the scriptures to make them say anything. Amen? I mean, Judas hanged himself, go thou therefore and do likewise. Uh, so you can twist the scriptures, but the idea, in order to prevent that, if you want an understanding of what God is really saying to you, always go to the context. Remember, context, 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 when you're reading and studying your Bible. Amen? Let me show you something contextual here about John Mark. Now, you'll look, if you would, please. We're not going to read this. But in verse 7, it mentions a man by the name of Sergius Paulus. What a Roman name. Could I suggest to you that Sergius Paulus was a Gentile? He was not a Jew. He gets saved. And a little bit later, in Acts chapter 15, you'll find that there is a controversy. I believe it probably started here. There's a controversy that, are, that arises concerning the circumcision of Gentile people. Some said... 
the Gentiles cannot be saved unless they're circumcised. And there was a council then at Jerusalem to decide the matter, and they decided that there is nothing, uh, you know, that the salvation is by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. Amen. Now there are certain things that they were to do that were uh, that, that made it uh, made their message more believable to the Jewish community, for instance. But salvation is by faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. That was their conclusion, biblical conclusion. But at this point, that was yet un, that, that was yet untried. That was yet unproven. Could I suggest to you that John Mark may have been a little bit uh, unsettled in what that decision should be, and whatever the reason was, he departed. Uh, my suggestion is that he departed from the work of God. He became entangled with uh, 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 theology that was untried and untrue. Can I say to you that not only will things, entanglement with things, take you out of the ministry and out of being effective as a part of uh, Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church, but theology that is not uh, uh, orthodox uh, Christianity. Are you listening to me tonight, today? will cause you to become, to fall by the wayside and become ineffective in your outreach. Now, the reason that we're having today is Mission Emphasis Month, six months into your missions year, is to encourage the people of God not to become just a summer soldier or a sunshine patriot, to encourage you not to be someone who's going to quit when the going gets tough, not to be someone who's going to during the year, during the missions year, become entangled with things or be led astray by theology untried and untrue, but rather to have you continue on and plug away and become a soldier that knows how to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now let me say thirdly, that not only are we not to entangle ourselves with things and theology, but to prevent that, we must be transfixed with the call of God upon our lives. Let me show you what I mean. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, the Lord is calling some men to the ministry. Now, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me this morning whether you are one that God has specifically singled out and called you into full-time ministry or whether you see yourself simply as a lay person that God has called to work a regular secular job and to be involved uh, in, a, in a collective sense in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in an endeavor to, to see the ministry of uh, uh, this church go forward. The point that I'm trying to make is that I think I've belabored, belabored enough this morning is that you are to be, you are to have a job, you are to have a ministry. You are, by virtue of the fact that you're saved, God has, has something for you to do. Amen. You're to be active in the work of God. Now, let me say this, that you will become nothing but a summer soldier and a sunshine patriot. When the going gets tough, you'll pack it in, you'll quit, you'll go back to the comforts of your former life without any strain. Are you listening? Without any strain upon you if you're not transfixed. In other words, if you're not pierced through with the claim of Christ upon your life. Let me show you what I mean. 
In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16, it says, And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they followed, they, they forsook their nets and followed him. And uh, skip down to verse 20. And straightway he found some other guys, then, uh, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. And in verse 20, straightway he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the ship, and uh, the hired servants, and went after him. Let me say to you that these men were so transfixed, they were so pierced through, They were so taken, they were so controlled by the call of God and the claim of Christ upon their life that first of all, they forsook their nets. This is a a forsaking of their income. Now, I am not saying this morning that you ought to walk away from your job. What I am saying to you this morning is that somehow we have got to come to the realization that there is more to life than just making money. Amen? And it, can I suggest to you that it is obedience to Christ that ought to pierce us through. And so, but here, they forsook their income. Secondly, in verse 20, you'll notice there that the sons of thunder, it says that they left their father. And so they walked away from their loved ones. I don't think that you need to quit loving your loved ones. But I think it needs to be like Jesus said, uh, that, that we need to love less those earthly ties and our, and our obedience and our focus needs to be upon Jesus Christ. He needs to be the supreme love of our life, the supreme controller of our life, the one who in our mind's eye we are seeking to please with our actions. Not only did he, do I see them walking away from income and loved ones, I see here it says that they left their father in Zebedee in the ship. This undoubtedly refers to their inheritance. And uh, I'm not necessarily saying you ought to walk away from your inheritance, but I am telling you this, if your inheritance stands in the way of you being obedient to the Lord, then there's something between you and God, isn't there? Let me illustrate this to you. One of the missionaries that's in the far north right now, as a matter of fact, I'll be going back up to the Arctic in January. I'll be going to the coast of, uh, to the coast of Canada, the northern coast of Canada. I will travel. I will drive my pickup truck up there on the frozen ocean ice, on the, on the ice road there, and I will go to the town of Tuktoyuktuk. And uh, uh, when I'm there, I will be standing in for Brother Skip Wilson, who will be back in Maryland, in eastern Maryland, uh, during, that, uh, during the month of January. By the way, preacher, how smart is that? I'm the director of this thing, and I get to go to the Arctic in January. Duh. But anyway, uh, uh, I'll be there. But uh, uh, the, the, here's the point. When Skip Wilson was getting ready to go, I was preaching at his home church over in Elkton, Maryland, and uh, as I was preaching there, Skip Wilson got, got saved. Uh, sometime after that, he got called to preach. Sometime after that, he got called to mission. Sometimes after, after that, God pointed out to him uh, the Arctic of Canada. And sometime after that, it settled down. It was going to be Tuktoyuktuk. When all that was happening, Skip Wilson called me up one day, and he said, when are you coming back over to the college to teach? I told him. We set up a meeting. We went out to Golden Corral, I think it was. And he began to explain to me, he said, I'm in a predicament. And I said, what's that? He said, I have been, uh, I have been uh, in, uh, I, I was a Marine. 
And he said, I was uh, part of the presidential guard when, during the Reagan era. And he said, uh, uh, so when, I, when I got out of the Marines, he says, I joined the Maryland State Troopers. And he said, I am two years away from full retirement, from a full pension. He said, but God has called me to, to the mission field. What should I do? And I said, well, I can't tell you what to do. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you asked your pastor about this? Yes, sir. What did he say? And he told me what his pastor said. He told me what some other men that he had great trust in said. And he said, now, what do you say? He said, they seem to be thinking that I should maybe kind of just wait the extra two years until go, and I could just, you know, I'd, I'd have that money, and, and I'd be set for life. And I said, I can't tell you what to do, Brother Skip. I said, I think you ought to pray about it, and whatever God tells you to do, that's what you ought to do. <clears throat> Would you believe that Skip Wilson walked away from, a, from being set up for the rest of his life Brother Wilson would be in his 40s, I believe now, maybe early 50s. But he walked away from his, from his inheritance because, I'm not saying you should do that. I'm simply saying that for him, in his situation, he felt like that that inheritance was between him and his obedience to the Lord. And I want you to know something, ladies and gentlemen, that if you as an individual are going to be anything more than a summer soldier or a sunshine patriot, if you're going to be anything more than somebody who's going to wimp out when the going gets tough, you're going to have to make some decisions. Maybe you'll never come to such a, such a huge decision as that. What I'm simply illustrating this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is that there have been men and women down through the ages historically who have decided, I'm going to walk away from income. I'm going to walk away from loved ones. If necessary, I'll walk away from inheritance. And then look at this, third, this last thing. It says, and uh, he forsook their nets. And uh, that, uh, that indicates here, uh, I mean, they, they left the nets. But look at also, it says there in verse, verse 20, and the hired servants. They walked away from that which made life comfortable for them. Now, let me say this to you. that Some of us right here in this room, God has dealt with about a call to the mission field. And the thing that is holding you back this morning from selling out to God and from complete and full obedience to the will of God for your life is you refuse to entertain the idea of going to a mission field where you'll be out of your comfort zone and all of the nice things and amenities that America has to offer. And that's what's keeping you from the perfect will of God in your life. Can I say to you that historically, missionaries and the people of God, people who have learned how to endure heart, listen, can I say to you this morning that the people, that the soldiers who are serving this country today in Iraq have left their comfort zone, they are doing without the comforts of life. Yes, their cause I believe to be noble, but not nearly so noble as the presentation of the gospel around the world and in leaving a gospel footprint around this, around this globe. Could I say to you this morning that very likely these are the four things that we need to take a serious look at and count the cost. Why? Because we must not become entangled 
with the things of this world because entanglement with the things of this world will keep you from being obedient to God. The second thing, and I'll have to hurry with these because our time is going, but secondly, let me point out that not only must the, uh, must the uh, soldier who knows how to endure hardness must not entangle himself, secondly, he must not exalt himself. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, go back there with me if you would please, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, in verse, uh, verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about me. You see, it's not about you any longer. There was a time when the gospel message was all about you. Because it was you that was undone and without Christ. It was you that was on your way to hell. It was you that was unsaved. It was you that needed to respond to the gospel. It was you that needed to come to Christ. It was all about you at one point. But now that you're saved on this side of the cross, on this side of Calvary, it's no longer just about you. It's about lost people all around the world. And you must not seek to exalt yourself. I want you to point three things out here about this. Luke chapter 7 verse 8 will not go there. But here's the point. That every servant of God, every soldier of the cross, every, every, every individual endeavoring to be what God wants them to be, every member, hello, of Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church is one who is under authority. Secondly, he is one who is under accountability. And thirdly, he is one who, is, who serves under the possibility of adjournment. Now, here's the idea that I want to take with that adjournment thing. I'll just mention this in passing. Pastor knows this. I certainly know this. When I got saved, I was in a, I was in a, uh, it was a church that was small. It was a church plant. It was a young church. But when God saved me, shortly thereafter, he called me to preach. And when he called me to preach, he placed upon my heart, and his direction was to move to a town about 50 miles southwest of where I had grown up, and to plant a church there. After I had seen the church come to self-support and got them started in their starter buildings, as a matter of fact, Pastor Leatherman preached the Sportsman's Bank, went over there uh, last, uh, last summer at that church, and has grown to where we run about uh, 200, I guess, 150 to 200, somewhere in there, supporting uh, 50-some, 57, 56, 57 missionaries. All of that has taken place. Why? Because I understood that even though my ministry was important where I was, I served under the possibility of adjournment. When I left there, when God was finished with me there, he began to move upon my heart about the mission field of the Arctic. And I adjourned my service there and reconvened my service, hello, in the northern parts of this world. Now, when I say adjournment, I'm not talking about closing the book, closing the door, and saying it's ended. But rather it's like this. I remember reading a mystery story one time. And in this mystery story, this murder had been committed and a man had been arrested for it. The, uh, the, the uh, defending attorney went out to this. Uh, the, the, the murder had taken place in a graveyard, incidentally. And uh, uh, the, the uh, defending attorney went out to the graveyard. He looked around at the situation. And when he saw the terrain, the topography of the land with the buildings and so on and so forth, he understood that what, the, that what his client had been accused of could not be true based on what he saw there. He also knew this. He also knew that unless the judge and the jury came out to the graveyard and saw that, that his client probably was going to be convicted because of the circumstantial evidence. And so at one point in the trial, 
the lawyer approached the bench, asked for permission. He approached the bench, and he asked for a, I don't know what it's called, a stay of, I don't know, venue or something, something like that. But the point was he wanted to take the judge and the jury out to the, out to the graveyard. And here's what the judge said. He granted it, and he said, court is therefore adjourned and will convene at the graveyard. Now, what I'm saying is this, that, a, that when you got saved, God didn't give you a ministry and a job to do until you get tired of it. Some of my preaching is in the South. Sometimes I get to preach in Florida in January and February instead of going to the Arctic. Amen. Sometimes it works out right. But anyway, when I'm in Florida, I'm amazed at the Christian people sometimes that I meet that at one point in place were active members of their church somewhere up north here, but now they have retired and they adjourned, but they didn't reconvene anything. They just quit on God. They're tired, they say. Well, hello, that's a summer soldier, is it not? That's a sunshine patriot. That's an individual who's going to quit and go home and prop their, prop themselves, prop their feet up by the fire because they, because they relish and, they, and they, they must have the comforts of life in order to keep on. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ means that we must learn how to discipline ourselves to do without some of the things and the amenities that the world thinks are so absolutely necessary. We have become a nation of wimps. We have lost the pioneer spirit in our American churches. Hello. And oh, how we need to get it back again. Let me say this, that thirdly and in closing, we must not only, uh, we must not only guard against entanglement, and against exalting ourselves, but we must not eliminate ourselves. Can I say to you today that there are a million and one ways for you to eliminate yourself from the service of God? Turn with me to the book of Judges, if you would, please. The book of Judges is a, uh, a very interesting uh, portion of Scripture. It is, the, it is written about the time between a direct, Theocracy, in other words, God was ruling from heaven directly upon men. It was between that time and the time called the kings when the people of God uh, uh, insisted upon a king and God gave them Saul. Between that time, that intermeaning time, was the time of the judges. It was an interesting time because there was, uh, God was not directly ruling them. They had no king yet. And uh, they would get into trouble. They would begin to stray. They were prone to wander and prone to leave the God that they loved, the same as we are. And uh, as a result of that, they'd get themselves into trouble. And, and God would send some of the neighboring countries around them to, uh, uh, to, to, to bother them and harass them. And they would get concerned about that. And they'd cry and squall to God. And God would send them a judge to deliver them. That's the time we're reading about. As a matter of fact, at time right now, the Midianites, some neighboring people of, of, the, of the, the Hebrew children, are harassing them. And a man by the name of Gideon, you've heard of him, of course, is called upon by God to deliver the people. Now, let me show you something here about, about Gideon. I want you to notice in verse, chapter 6, before we get to chapter 7, chapter 6 and verse, 30, uh, verse 35, it says there... Um, it says, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh 
uh, who uh, also had gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher and unto Zebulun and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. Now, these are four tribes of the nation of Israel. Now, I have a figure here that I'm going to throw out to you and suggest. Please don't come up to me after the service and ask me where, how I arrived at this number. I have forgotten how I arrived at this number, but I did write it down in the margin of my Bible. And since it's in my Bible, it must be true. <laughs> but here's the figure I came up with. I figured out that there is the possibility that when Gideon began collecting an army to go smite the Midianites, that there was the possibility of 569,000 people that could have come to, to, to join in the battle. Uh, can, you, can you imagine that? Uh, you know, you can almost uh, hear in, in one of these tribal camps, you know, uh, one guy says to another, hey, have you heard that Gideon is getting up an army to go fight the Midianites? Come on, let's go. And one guy says, are you kidding? He's going to be camping out in the mud. Not me. I'm staying home. He says to another guy, come on, let's go join Gideon. We're going to smite the Midianites. Another guy says, are you kidding? The Mountaineers are playing tonight. I wouldn't miss that for all the world. You know, I've, I've got tickets. I'm going, man. I can't go fight a war. You see, and, and some of the, re- listen, we think that those excuses are ridiculous, but do not we offer just as ridiculous an excuse many times for not serving the Lord? Well, anyway, regardless of however many it was here, they, we call this crowd the complacent crowd. And we know that out of that, there are, there are 32,000 men that actually show up at Gideon's place to go fight. And the Lord says to them, you got too many. And so just tell them, if any of you guys are scared, just go back home again. Well, 22,000 of them did exactly that. We call this crowd the cowardly crowd. So we had the complacent crowd and the cowardly crowd. And now the Lord says, you still have too many. There's 10,000 of you left. Take them, Gideon, down by the water and tell them to drink and watch them when they drink. And the ones that dip the water out with their hands and bring it up to their mouth, those are the guys you want. Because the other guys that put their face down and drink like a dog, they're not watching. They're not, uh, they're not, uh, they're not keen. Uh, the enemy could be hiding in the bushes right across the river, right across the stream there. And they could just come out there and pop them off with an arrow. They are the careless crowd. Send them home. And what was left, ladies and gentlemen, were Gideon's 300, the conquering crowd. Could I say to you that the 300, Gideon's 300, that these were men who were not summer soldiers. These were men who were not sunshine patriots. These were men who learned how, had learned how somewhere along the way in their training and in their experience to become men who knew how to endure hardness, hello, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Can I say to you today, ladies and gentlemen, that the temptations of the world are so fierce and so enormous today that we must be on our guard, that we must, if we're going to become part of the conquering crowd, if we're going to be ever in our life anything more than just a summer soldier, if we're going to become one who knows how to endure hardness, we must first of all purpose in our heart that we're not going to, be, we're not going to become entangled. We're not going to 
uh, exalt ourselves. It's all about him and about lost people, and we're not going to eliminate ourselves. Could I say to you today, dear Christian, please, 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 be careful that you do not eliminate yourself. I would suggest to you, Pastor, how many years have you been here? 15? 14 years? That in the 14 years that Pastor's been here, he has seen people come in these doors, get saved, and start off to serve God who today are not serving God. They're not serving God because they're summer soldiers and sunshine patriots. Perhaps they became entangled with the things of this life. Perhaps they tried, they, they began to exalt themselves and lost their focus. Perhaps they just plain eliminated themselves. A million and one ways to eliminate yourself. Listen carefully to me today. I'm telling you this morning that church is fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, Baptist churches across this nation are struggling today to find men who can fill, biblically fill the office of deacon because many of our men have already eliminated themselves from that office. Now listen, I'm not picking on anybody. I don't know your situation, but I'll, I'll bet you this. I'll bet you that if I'm speaking to somebody here who's been through a divorce, you don't want your children to experience that. Am I right about that? So let's be for the preacher when he teaches on that subject, amen? Rather than being picky or having our feelings hurt easily about it, let's understand that it goes beyond that. Now let me say this to you, that the reason for this message this morning is this, that in the world in which we live, we are ever increasingly need, we're finding an ever increasing need for men and women who know how to endure hardness. Pastor Snow, I didn't, I didn't ask the people's name. I don't want to know. But he told me about a missionary couple. They had been saved. They grew up in their local church. They were involved in the youth program. When they graduated from high school, they went off to a recognized good Bible college in America. They went through the four-year program there, graduated both of them with a bachelor's degree in, in something. Missions, one of them, the man was a missions major. And uh, they graduated from there ordained to the ministry, two and a half years of deputation. They got to the mission field, and in three months, they were back home permanently. They said, we didn't know it was going to be that hard. We look at yonder missionary who quits, and we're upset with him, yea, even angry with him because of the funding that he has wasted and the excitement that's been generated about the possibility of his ministry. And yet we, the people of God in the pews of American churches, are often guilty of the same thing. We just become summer soldiers. We quit when the going gets tough. We just pack it in because we have other interests. I want to, I want to, I want to close with this thought. Well, I guess we'll not do it this morning, but our time is gone. But I want you to understand, let me just reemphasize something that I said before. That when Christ comes back, he'll come back. First of all, the, the second coming of Christ is in what we call two advents. This is nothing new to you that have been around Bible preaching. The first part we call the rapture. The second part we call the revelation. These two events of the second coming occur seven years between them. There's a seven-year span between them. 
We know that on earth during those seven years is going to be taking place the tribulation period, the last half being called the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. Do you know what's going to be taking place in heaven? It will be called, one of the things that's going to happen is called the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a judgment to see whether or not you'll go to heaven. You'll already be there. Amen. You'll be taken up when the trumpet sounds, right? But here's the thing. I believe with all of my heart that the scriptures indicate after having studied this out from cover to cover in the word of God that the primary thing that Christ is going to judge his people upon is what have you done with the trust that I have left you with. I entrusted you with the gospel. My last, my last commandment was to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, the scripture, in, in the gospels, Christ spoke many parables about a man who had a vineyard, and he turned it over for cultivation. He gave, and in, other, in other cases, he gave some men, uh, they, had some, they had some talents, he gave them talents, and he went away, and he came back. He expected an increase. He expected them to, in, to make an investment in what he had given them. Invest with that. And he expected an increase. This is the terminology that the Lord uses concerning that. When the owner came back, the unfaithful servant said, I knew thee to be an austere man. In another place he said, I knew that thou art an hard man. The idea being that you expect a harvest even where you didn't plant. The reason, ladies and gentlemen, is because we're to do the planting, you see, and Christ expects a harvest. If he's a hard man and an austere man, do you think, do you really believe that the believer's judgment, the bema seat of Christ, is going to be a picnic? Can I suggest to you that you and I ought to have a healthy respect for the, for the judge who will in that day look at, our, at what we've done with the gospel of Christ. I say to you that we ought to look forward, yes, to the second coming, to the rapture. But I think, personally, my observation is that I'm looking forward to it with some reservation because in that day will be called into question everything that's motivated me in my life and ministry since I've been saved. Have I really done my best for Jesus? Or have I just been a summer soldier and a sunshine patriot? Listen to this. One of the most used words of George Washington was perseverance. In all times and in all, under all hardships, Washington and the army persevered because they believed in what they were fighting for. When it looked as though the war was lost and when they were at their lowest, they kept going because they were not just summer soldiers. They were men who knew how to endure hardness as a good soldier. Missions needs men and women who, when fortune frowns, will not be discouraged. Such men win battles. Such men win, win wars. Such men are still needed today. Could I suggest to you this morning, dear Christian, that if God spoken to your heart this morning, and listen to me, the allurement to depart 
and become a summer soldier is enormous. Could I suggest to you that in just a few moments as Pastor come and leads the invitation, that there ought to be some of us to get up all off of our seat and come to an old-fashioned altar and dedicate or rededicate our lives and saying, Dear God, help me not to ever become just a summer soldier. Help me to be one who will be part of the conquering crowd. Help me to be one who will learn how. Teach me, dear God, to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That we may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Father in heaven, we love you today. And Father, we want to be motivated.